My second reading is from Acts uh, chapter 17. I'm going to be reading verse 10 through 21. It's uh, in your bulletins. I'm reading from the ERV, my current favorite translation. It's the one that I'm using uh, at Valley Christian School. Uh, I find it very clear and very simple, which I think is important. Okay, so hear the word of God. That same night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to another city named Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. The people in Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. They were so glad to hear the message Paul told them. They studied the scriptures every day to make sure that what they heard was really true. The result was that many of them believed including many important Greek women and men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was telling people God's message in Berea, they came there too. They upset the people and made trouble. So the believers immediately sent Paul away to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. Those who went with Paul took him to the city of Athens. They returned with a message for Silas and Timothy to come and join him as soon as they could. While Paul was waiting for Silas and Timothy in Athens, he was upset because he saw that the city was full of idols. In the synagogue, he talked with the Jews and with the Greeks who were worshiping, uh, I'm sorry, with the Greeks who were worshipers of the true God. He also went into the public square every day and talked with everyone who came by. Some of the Epicureans and some of the Stoic philosophers argued with him. Some of them said, this man doesn't really know what he's talking about. What is he trying to say? Paul was telling them the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they said, he seems to be telling us about some other gods. They took Paul to a meeting of the Areopagus Council. They said, please explain to us this new idea that you have been teaching The things you are saying are new to us. We have never heard this teaching before. And we want to know what it means. The people of Athens and the foreigners who lived there spent all their time either telling or listening to all the latest ideas. This is the word of the Lord. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Father God, you are God and you have made us and you have made us well. You made this world and you made it good. And Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to believe that you are the maker of this world and that you are the governor of this world. Lord, we pray for those whose eyes have not been opened to this fundamental truth. We pray that they would look around them and just be dazzled and inquire about the God who stands behind all of this world. Lord, we thank you for the world that you've made. We thank you for our place in this world. We thank you for bringing us into this world through our mothers. We thank you for the mothers who have cared for us and worried about us and lost sleep over us, the mothers who have given up 
their own pleasures for for our sake, the mothers who have sacrificed their time so that we might be well. Lord God, I pray that we would honor the institution of motherhood, that we would support it. Lord, I pray that we would uh, honor our own mothers and that we would honor the mothers who serve other people. Lord, I pray that we as a church would recognize that mothers are the foundation of civilization. And I pray that we would uh, love and honor them each day. Lord, I pray for those mothers who grieve uh, lost children. And I pray for those who want to be mothers, who have a heart of a mother but have not been able to be mothers. Lord, I pray for those of us whose mothers are gone. I pray for those of us who've had mothers who've just been absent. Lord, I pray that we would find in you our fullness and our satisfaction. But we do thank you for the blessing of our mothers. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen and encourage each day and this day the mothers in our midst. We pray that you would uh, give them uh, strength and perseverance and joy and patience in all that they do. Lord, I pray that they would uh, honor their role even as we honor them this day. That they would recognize that their function as a mother is a high and honorable calling. Lord God, I pray for uh, expectant mothers this day, for those mothers who have new life growing in their womb. I pray that you would uh, keep them safe and, and bring, uh, bring their child to term. Father God, you have made us and you have made us well. And part of your design was that humans would be either male or female and that out of this combination, new life would emerge uh, through the agency of mothers. And so we bless you bless your name for that. Father God, we pray for those of our numbers who are not able to be with us this day uh, because of sickness or or isolation. I pray that uh, you would be present to them by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that the fellowship of this congregation would be real. I pray that we would know each other and be involved in each other's lives, uh, even maybe when we're not seeing each other quite so much as we're accustomed to. Father God, I do lift up before you right now Betty Hewitt, and I pray that you would be present with her. I pray that you would strengthen her body and her spirit at this time, that you would give her joy and peace in the midst of her troubles. I lift up before you a Ginny Timberg, and I pray that you would strengthen her body and her spirit, and that you would give her joy and peace uh, even in her time of trouble. Father God, I pray uh, for our congregation as we regather, as we reconstitute ourselves, I pray that we would continue to stand upon the firm foundation of Christ and the scriptures. And I pray that this new post-COVID chapter in the life of the church would be a chapter of fruitfulness and a chapter of growth. I pray that every Sunday we would leave this sanctuary thinking, huh, I wonder who I need to share that message with. I wonder who it is that God is calling me to speak to. I wonder who in my circle of friends and family still doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you would give us a 
a burden for the lost. I pray that we would not rest easy at night knowing that members of our own family and people that we love in our neighborhood and at work, that they are outside of the fold of Jesus Christ, that they are exposed to every danger and hostility of the evil one. Lord, I pray for mercy on those people who are lost at this time. I pray that you would not give up on them, that you would continue to call them to yourself. I pray that you would use us to call them. And Lord, I pray that you would give us many opportunities to do that. Lord, we are your people not because we are better than anyone. We are your people because you've had mercy on us. Lord, I pray that we would have mercy on others in our lives, that we would be gracious toward others. I pray that we would be patient with those who are exasperating. I pray that we would be peaceable with those who are always wanting to fight. And I pray that your kingdom come. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are still in the second uh, missionary journey of the Apostle uh, Paul. You'll recall that Paul and his companions have left um, Asia. They've left Turkey and they've crossed over uh, the Aegean and they're in Greece now. They're in, they're in Europe. And um, they go first to Philippi. And in Philippi, we see a number of conversions happen. These are the very first Europeans who become Christians. We have Lydia who becomes a Christian, a, a noble woman, a, an entrepreneur, a, a believer in God. Even before she knows about Christ, she becomes a follower of Christ. There is a, a Sybil, a, a slave girl who is uh, trapped in a world of, of demonic possession who's also freed by the name of Christ. And then there's the jailer. You know, the corrections officer who's just part of the system and he sees what it is that the gospel is and he and his whole household are converted. The very first Europeans who come to follow Christ there at Philippi. And then Paul and his companions head on down the road. Well, actually they're chased down the road and they come to the next city, Thessalonica. And they preach there at Thessalonica and the locals are upset with them. The Jews are unhappy about the message that Paul is bringing. There's a riot that breaks out and Paul and his companions have to escape. And they go down the road and they come to Berea, which is the city that we're going to talk about today. One of the things that the scriptures tells us about Berea is that these people were of noble character. That they were well born is what it says in the Greek. Uh, in our translation, it says that they were open-minded. They're willing to listen. It actually takes a big person to be willing to listen. A small person, his mind is already made up. He already knows everything that he needs to know. He's not going to hear anything new. But the people in Berea were noble. They were big people. They had big hearts and big minds. And so they listened to what the Apostle Paul was saying. And they studied the scripture. And even today we admire the Bereans. 
Bible studies are named after the Bereans. Churches take the name Berean. We admire the people of the Bereans because they were in the scriptures and that their noble character allowed them to receive the gospel. But while Paul is there in Berea, the folks back in Thessalonica are still upset with Paul. And so they send a mob down the road to chase them even from Berea. And so Paul escapes again, and this time he goes to Athens. Athens, of course, is the intellectual capital of the world. It's not the political capital. It's not the financial capital. But it's where the universities are. It's where all the smart people are. It's where the important arts and literature are going on. And it's a city full of all kinds of temples and idols. Paul walks into this city and he is greatly, greatly distressed. He talks with the Jews in the, in the synagogue. He talks with the pagans in the marketplace. We see Paul encountering uh, academic philosophers, like real university professors there uh, in, uh, in Athens. The, the uh, Epicureans and the Stoics are the ones who are mentioned. He goes to the Areopagus, which is a kind of a council of philosophers who have a lot of uh, importance in the city. And so we see the message of Christ going well beyond the community of the people of the book, beyond the community of the Jews, beyond the synagogue, into an entirely alien world where this is a new and very strange, very strange idea. And we see that the fundamental message that Paul is bringing is characterized for us in verse 19. Is it verse 19? No, it's actually verse 18. Paul was telling them the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Okay, about Jesus and the resurrection. This is kind of a shortened code for what it is that Paul is preaching. So that's where we are. Now what I want to do this morning is talk about uh, the Bereans and the ways in which they might be an example to us as just as good people, but also as Christians. And then I want us to spend some time at the end of the sermon period to just think about, well, what is it that I need to do in light of this scripture? Some people like to go to a church where the pastor tells you what to do. I'm not going to tell you what to do today, but we're going to take some time and ask the Holy Spirit to tell us what to do. Okay? All right? And and I'm going to trust him that his instructions to you will be better than anything that I could come up with. All right? So let me, let me walk, well, let me walk through some of this stuff. So, in verse 11, The people of Berea were more open-minded than those of Thessalonica. Now the word that's translated for us as open-minded in the NIV is translated as more noble. Okay, which is actually connected to the idea of having been been born well, to be born into a good family. There's a, a sense of virtue here, that these are virtuous people. They're pagans. But they're virtuous people. Or if they're Jews, they're, they're also, they're virtuous. They have a kind of nobility about them. Here at Valley Christian School, I, I 
lead the middle school chapel and I also teach a boys Bible study for, for the middle school. And, uh, one of the books that We've been talking about, uh, in both of those contexts, and, and uh, Mrs. Kaler has been using in faculty development, is this book by Philip Dow that's called Virtuous Minds. Okay, so Philip Dow is a Christian school educator. Uh, I think he's from Kenya, some someplace in Africa. And he has done some very serious thinking about... What it is that we should be developing in terms of character traits in the people that we're raising in Christian schools. And he comes up with seven character traits or seven virtues that we should embody as a result of our education. Number one is courage. Number two is carefulness. Number three is tenacity. Number four is fair-mindedness. Number five is curiosity. Number six is honesty. And number seven is humility. Because seven virtues, seven intellectual virtues. And if you look at the description of what's going on with the people in Berea, these noble-minded, open-minded people, we see that they, that they fulfill all of these seven characteristics. The people in Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. They were so glad to hear the message that Paul told them. They studied the scriptures every day to make sure that what they heard was really true. They wanted to learn. These are people who were actually curious. It isn't that their heads were already filled up and their minds were already made up. They were content to learn. They were curious. They worked hard to understand. That's that tenacity and that carefulness. You see them studying the scriptures. They're listening to Paul and they're checking the scriptures. They're listening to the preacher. They're checking the scriptures. They're listening to what the preacher has to say and they're checking it against the word of God. They're being tenacious and they're being careful in their study. They examined the new message in light of the scriptures, which indicates their willingness to be fair-minded. It's very hard to listen to new ideas. You have to be very open-minded, very fair-minded, in order to hear something that, well, I just never knew that before, and now that now you're telling me that. And then finally, they were willing to think new thoughts and to come to new conclusions, which is a sign of their courage of their courage and of their honesty. And of their humility. Because the love of truth and the love of my self-image don't always go together. The love of truth and the love of my self-image don't always go together. I mean, all of us have had the experience of seeing our pictures or listening to a video recording of us and... And we don't like what we hear. We don't, we don't like what we're seeing. We think, oh, I don't look like that. Well, actually we do look like that. Pictures don't lie. Okay? I mean, we don't like it. Nobody likes their own picture. Alright? But the truth and my self-image don't always go together. How many of us like to have performance evaluations at work? 
You know, and you go into, if if a performance evaluation is well conducted, your supervisor will hold up a mirror to your performance and to your character in a way that's honest and true, and all of us hate it. It's very threatening to our self-image. If I have constructed a certain self-image, and then Scripture comes along and shows me my true self, I'm not going to be happy. Scripture does two things. Scripture reveals the character of God, shows us who God is, and Scripture shows us who we are. I find that the people who are most hostile to the church and hostile to the gospel are hostile because what Scripture says about them, they don't like. Okay? Look, here's the hard thing about the good news of the gospel. The good news always comes after the bad news. The bad news is that we're sinners bound for hell. All right? I'd rather not hear that. But the problem is, until I'm willing to hear that, until I have the courage to hear that, I will never receive the good news. Oh, well, here's the solution to your problem. The bad news of the gospel is the diagnosis of my present condition. That I'm a sinner... That I'm wallowing in sin, that I'm not living the way that I should, that there will be a judgment one day. That's the bad news. And a lot of people run from the church and they run from scripture because they don't want to hear the bad news. Because I can go out in the world and I can listen to a Disney movie or I can listen to Oprah who will affirm me exactly the way I am. Scripture reveals our true character... And sometimes that truth wounds our self-image. But if we're courageous, if we are intellectually virtuous, if we're noble people, we're going to have the guts to receive that message which will let us go on to the good news. Okay, there's no good news without the bad news first. The love of truth and the love of our self-image don't always go together. Think about alcoholics and other people in addiction and the time that they spend in denial, okay? Everyone around them can see the problem, but um, they don't see it, okay? The truth and self-image don't always go together. Not everyone is ready to be fair-minded or objective about themselves, okay? Which is part of the puzzle of why... Preaching hits different people in different ways. It's one of the, one of the puzzles that I've, you know, found in, in being your pastor all these years is that different people hear the same sermon totally different. Okay? It's, it's the craziest thing. You know, and so I've, I've, you know, so when people after the service, you know, say, oh, that was a good sermon, I don't take it personally anymore. Because when they say it's bad, I don't take it personally either. Okay? I, I can't account for how a sermon hits different people. And I know it hits different people in different ways because they're in different places. Alright? And so some of us are not ready 
to be fair-minded about ourselves, and so we're not ready to hear the revelation of God that's in Scripture. Apparently, the people in Berea were. Scripture says, the people in Berea were more open-minded, or more noble is the word in Greek, than those in Thessalonica. The people in Thessalonica, they immediately blew up when Paul showed up there. They were so glad to hear the message Paul told them, they studied the scriptures every day to make sure that what they heard was true. The result was, this is verse 12, the result was that many of them believed. All right, They were open-minded. They examined the preaching of Paul. They didn't just swallow it. They checked it against the scriptures. And then some of them believed. Not 100%, but some of them believed. Now, there is a kind of intellectual revolution that happens when people encounter the gospel. There is a, by revolution I mean things turn upside down. Once it's this way and now it goes the other way. Remember, at Philippi, Paul and his companions are beaten and thrown into jail and driven out of town. Think about what's going on in the minds of those people at Philippi that a couple of ragtag Jews who've wandered through their village would cause such a stir. Why such a huge reaction? They're chased out of town by a mob in Thessalonica. And then the mob in Thessalonica, when they hear that Paul's off in Berea, they follow him to Berea. What is it about the gospel that makes people so crazy? Why the huge outrage? I mean, isn't Christianity supposed to be, you know, all nicey-nice? Isn't it like all peaceful and kind and loving? Why is it that it provokes this outrage? Well, because it turns the whole world upside down. If you're a Jew living according to the law, thinking that you've satisfied your relationship with God by that law alone and discovered that there's something else here, it's going to turn that upside down. If you're a pagan worshiping goofy things like trees and stars, it's going to turn that whole world upside down. If you're a complete atheist and just worship at the altar of politics and you hear that there's a king who is above every king and that every empire is going to fall but Jesus will be here forever, it's going to turn your world upside down. All right, There is a revolution that happens when... The gospel encounters anything that's not the gospel. Now, the reaction's big on the other side, too, and we might want to ask ourselves about our own reaction. Paul's reaction in verse 16, if I can find it. Notice what happens with Paul in 16. While Paul was waiting for Silas and Timothy in Athens, he was upset, NIV, says, deeply distressed because he saw that the city was full of idols. How come? 
Why does this upset him so much? Does it upset us? We are living in a re-paganizing West. Okay? What is being called progress, in many ways, is simply a return to pre-Christian civilization. Okay? A lot of the political forefront, the progressive politics, is actually a return to a pre-Christian world worldview. Does it upset us? Are we outraged when other gods have a space in this world? Paul is upset, is visibly upset. Now let's talk about this revolution. Revolutions are about things that are the highest and the things that are the lowest. They're about the things that are the most simple and also the things that are exalted. Okay, Jesus in the gospel caused a revolution, and that revolution causes open warfare. The essential conflict between Christianity, between Christ and anything else, is a conflict about fundamental principles, and those fundamental principles are what elicit such strong emotions. That's what gets us most upset. Look, if the Bible... Is God's self-revelation, which is what we affirm in this church. Okay, we believe that the Bible is God's revelation to the world. If Jesus is truly the Son of God, the creator of the universe, the king of the universe, then some things will need to change and some existing kings will need to be pushed aside. Values will need to be realigned if Jesus is going to reign. Now, talking about basic ideas, talking about simple ideas is actually really hard. It's what philosophers do. It's hard because while we, every one of us believes certain basic ideas, they're so deep we don't actually think about them. We just believe them. We just think it's just the way the world is. We don't actually Think about them explicitly. Philosophers do. That's what philosophy is all about, is thinking about the basic things. Let me give you a couple of examples. Since it's Mother's Day, let's talk about babies. I love babies. By the way, I think we need some more babies around here. Okay. Some of you all need to get... Working. Okay. It's been a while since I've had a baby to hold around here. So babies come into the world. There are a couple of views on babies and goodness and babies and badness. One view is that babies are born naturally good. That they just come out and they're, they're good. And sometimes they get corrupted by you know, bad environmental influences or bad social influences or bad family influences. But they come out good and get made bad. Okay? That's Jean-Jacques Rousseau. It's also a lot of educational theory today. One view. Another view is, is that actually the babies come out bad. And we need parents and schools and churches to help lead them to be good. 
Okay, the complete opposite view. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Okay, those are two different world views. One is secular. One is biblical. And if you were to get into the room with someone who has a different view on that, they might not think about that fundamental view, but it will inform, for example, how they think education should work. Here's another one. There is this view that there, that the universe that we live in was created by a being outside of the universe. And that being who was outside of the universe had a purpose in making the universe the way that he did. And that he chose it to make this way and not that way. Okay? And so that the universe was made, it's not self-subsisting, and it has a purpose. That's one view. There's a different view, a secular view, that there is no creator. That the world simply, I don't know, just always was here. We're not really going to inquire about that. And that therefore humans may rightly create their own purpose. That there's no God-given purpose. They can create themselves however they want. That's a different worldview. There is a view that this world is not all that there is. That outside of this world there is a place called heaven. And that there will be an afterlife. And that this world will end, but that our eternal spirits will never end. That's one view. That's a biblical view. But then there's another view out there, maybe you've heard it, that this world is all that there is. And you better enjoy it while you're here. Because when you die, there's just nothing. Now, these are basic world views. And it's over these basic things that people fight most vigorously. The gospel comes into every environment and it flips it upside down. Whether you're a Pharisee or whether you're a pagan or whether you're an atheist, it flips it upside down and it's challenging to whoever We are outside of Christ. The Bereans heard the preaching of Paul. Now, these Bereans are Jews and they're Greeks who are also believers in Yahweh. Paul preaches to the Bereans and he preaches this new information to them. It's new. They've got to incorporate this new idea into their brain. And they go about it in an open-minded, noble way. And they study what Paul says up against the scriptures. A lot of people say a lot of things. Are we always taking what they're saying over to scripture and checking it out? A lot of people say a lot of things. Some of the things are very convincing. Some of the things are very appealing, particularly if they flatter me. The Bereans were noble and open-minded people. They listened to what Paul was saying. Their minds weren't closed. They didn't just run them out of town. I'm going to listen to what you have to say. But you know what? I'm going to check it against the revealed scriptures. I'm going to check it against God's authoritative revelation. 
What I want us to think about just here in closing, and this is where I think the Holy Spirit needs to speak to each one of us individually. Where in our life do we need to take what we think and what we believe and what we value and to take them to Scripture and to check them out? One of my concerns about the Christian community is not that we don't believe in Jesus, but that we believe in Jesus plus a whole lot of other stuff. I see too many Christians who say that, oh, I believe in Jesus, but then they talk about karma. Or I believe in Jesus, but then they've got a Native American dream catcher hanging from their rearview mirror. Or I believe in Jesus, but I'm checking out the horoscope or going to the psychic. Okay? If Jesus is king, ain't nobody else king. Okay? There is nobody else. And we need to be really careful. Because as we saw in our Old Testament reading, God's name is jealous. God names himself. And one of the names that he gives himself is, I'm a jealous God. I am not going to put up with competition from these other stupid worldly ideas. We are inundated 24-7 in appealing, convincing ways by all kinds of wackadoo ideas from the secular world. You gotta believe that Satan works through that stuff. Satan wants to sow confusion in the church. Satan wants to prevent people from thinking that they need a savior. You're fine just the way you are. Satan wants to discourage you and pull you down. I think we need to bring everything that we think and value I think we need to bring it in an open-minded, in a courageous way to the authority of Scripture. So I want you to think about what in your life. What in your life needs to be brought to the feet of Jesus? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess that we're a double-minded people. That we have divided loyalties and allegiances. And I pray that you forbear with us. And pray that you would become bigger in our hearts and our minds. And I pray that all that other junk would have no room. Lord, I pray that you would Reign. I pray that you would be on the throne of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage and the tenacity and the fair-mindedness to actually evaluate all of the stuff that we believe in light of what the scriptures say. 
pray that you make us noble like the Bereans were noble. Lord, may we be conformed to your will. Give us the mind of Christ. Christ. 